0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon. You are very welcome to Liveline. Katie Hannon with you until three o'clock today. And I'm going to go first to Ruth. Ruth, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Katie. How are you? Ruth, this is something I have thought about over the last number of years, that the fireworks season seems to kick off earlier and earlier every year now. But you're in a very uh, difficult situation there. Tell us, tell us your story. Yeah, so um, when we started back our term at the middle of September there, there were already fireworks going off around the studio. Oh, so just, but, ex- sorry, uh, Ruth, we should explain to sorry, people yeah. that you are Ruth of Ruth Shine School of Dance in Blessington Shopping Centre. That's right, yeah. Okay. So we have, we've been here for about 17 years, but we've just got a new studio since about 2019. And we have had problems with like antisocial behaviour beforehand, but just since like that, since about September onwards, it's escalated with the fireworks. So um, on around the 13th of September, we had um, a firework that was shot. There was, I think they were shooting them at each other horizontally across the walkway. And a firework came into our studio door while there was a class going on. Um, there was a kickboxing class of five to seven-year-olds going on and a place filled with smoke. Um, the doors scorched from it. Um, so pretty scary stuff. Uh, the kids um, must, have, must have... Been very uh, ter- that. terrified, absolutely terrifying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because we have a toilet just inside the door as well, and there was a kid in that toilet while it happened. Like it's, it's basically the exact opposite of what we we're trying to do in our school. We we're trying to create a nice safe place for people to learn, and that was definitely not what was uh, happening that day. And then the following week, we had an issue. Like the fireworks continued basically, but at the end on the nineteenth of September. The fireworks were so bad they were going off all over the shopping centre that I literally couldn't let my teenage group, so not even the little ones, the teenagers, out of the studio without the parents coming up to collect them because you literally couldn't see the car park. There was that amount of smoke um, from the fireworks that were being set off. It was like something from the news from like a war zone. Um, So I know the fire brigade were called and they were doing a tour around the shopping centre, checking for where they could get water if the place was going to go up in flames, basically which units to be saved. Um, yeah, so that's what's been going on for the last while. Right. And these are young people? people They're their... from about, I'm going to say from about 12 to 16 years old. All right, so very young um, actually, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is quite a young group. Um, like we've always had a problem with a certain group of them, but just in the recent past, it's just been more and more people more and more teenagers up on the level that we're on because we're on the first floor of a shopping centre and they've kind of been allowed to take over in a way because there's quite a lot of empty units where I am. I'm surrounded by empty units. Um, and it's been an issue where we, we've had a problem even getting access to our studio up the stairs. They're inclined not to move out of the way for parents or for ourselves coming through. Um, so it's been a bit of an issue ongoing. So um, we... We did have, a, I, I did a Facebook uh, live because I was kind of coming to the end of my tether on it, um, trying to just figure out what to do about it. So um, I had huge support from the community, which was lovely to hear, and lots of the other community groups backed it. Um, so things have quietened down because I got a parent group together um, of my own students' parents, um, and we kind of stand guard um, at the stairwell, so we're not letting people that aren't part of the studio up the stairs 
but again this isn't a long-term solution so um so, but, but, so it sounds extraordinary that you'd have to do this but so you're saying that the parents of the kids who are the, the children who are in the dance school are actually physically standing at the bottom of the stairs uh, on the way up to your school <laughs> basically yeah 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 and uh, now we've kind of gone into the well, I suppose um my instructions were to be like the UN of parents like we're non-confrontational but we're just clear instructions that like unless you're coming upstairs for classes you don't have access upstairs it's um it's not really what we want to do but unfortunately it's the only way I can see um to maintain um easy access for us to get to our classes so and is there um, there no there's no other reason why people would need to go up those stairs is there no, there there is one two sets of stairs that leads to us. So one set of stairs goes towards the towards the library and a shop there as well. So we don't block that stairwell; we just block it at the turn towards us. Um, but yeah, so that's that's basically the only reason they would be up there at the moment. There's lots of empty units up on our floor. Um, but there must be. So if the this is, has, yeah, I was just going to say, but there must be other units other businesses affected around the shopping centre? Oh, 100% generally. there is. There was a, um, uh, what was she, um, kind of sewing uh, place across the way uh, called Miss Stitch. She's moved out of the community now because her windows were smashed by the teens. Um, she was she was extremely victimised by um, what was going on and like that. I think because we have so many uh, families behind us, we got more support for us. Um, but unfortunately, she had to close her business. I know there's beauticians that um, don't come out of their place by themselves at night. They wait for the last client to go out with them. I know there's been issues at the pizzeria that's um, part of the shopping centre. I know the cafe downstairs from us have had to change their opening hours because of the antisocial behaviour that was going on. Staff have been spat at. Some of my own staff have been followed down to the car park. It's It's kind of... When you when you list it off, you realise how much has been going on over so long. And how long? Yeah, I was just going to say, how long has it been at this level where you, where where you know people are really <sighs> ch- changing their their behaviour to to get around? I'm going to it? say it's it, it's it has been an issue since I've had the unit. So like that back in 2019, but it just seems to be going up and up and up. Um, I know Miss Stitch closed. I'd say maybe three years ago, about that kind of timing. Um, but I'd say in the last year, it's it's really escalated. Basically, the whole upper level of the shopping centre is allowed to be graffitied, windows smashed, and very little done about it. So I think it's that broken windows effect that if it starts looking bad and not yeah. kept well, it starts to fall apart. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of research that shows that that is that's a fact. That's what happens when you you let yeah. a, a, a place literally, as you say, one window gets broken and and it, that sets off exactly, a downward spiral. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I know that Dunn's downstairs is a, the anchor tenant, and basically for the shopping centre is Dunn's. But they've also had issues with their fire alarms being set off because of fireworks going off. It's it's basically affecting everybody in the whole shopping centre unit. And the, um, these young so, people, Ruth, are they boys and girls? Yes, it's a mixture. It's a mixture. And like that, sometimes they are in their school uniforms when they're doing it. So we have contacted the local secondary school and I have to say that Kieran, the principal of the local school, was really lovely to deal with. And he was like that disgusted that it was happening. And obviously with students in uniform, it's even worse. So he's done his, uh, more than his fair share to try to get that message out to, to the students and to obviously parents, because parents may not know that it's their kids that were up there. 
um, and the guards have been into them and they've done their bit as well. And I have to say the guards, any time we've rung and we've gotten through, it's they have come by and they've been very supportive as, as well. But obviously, it's there's a long-term, a, a longer-term issue there that hasn't been addressed. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. In yeah, term- so we had a meeting. Yeah, go oh, on. Sorry, go ahead. We had a meeting with Simon Harris uh, the other day and he was suggesting that basically like Blessington does need more of a guard of presence. I think we're entirely like understaffed basically in Blessington for the size of the community and the scope of the place that we have. Um, so hopefully the reinstatement of a community guard might make a bit of a difference. Um, and then obviously more walkthroughs with the um, with guards through the shopping centre. But again, the shopping centre is a private entity, so it is very much up to the shopping centre to deal with it. To police itself, well. yeah, to secure itself. Yeah. And yeah. I know you, you tried playing classical music. <laughs> yeah, I did, and I never will again. Um, I tried to do it in a more gentle way, kind of suggesting it's not the cool place to be. So I was playing classical music outside the studio during the summertime but basically what happened there is that I came back the next morning and my sign for my studio was covered in sanitary towels all of my window decals had been pulled off um, rubbish left all over in the front uh, floor really sticky outside so they're just pouring like coke and and 7-Up and stuff on the floor outside so the place is disgusting basically by the time we came back so that was quite um, disillusioning (laughs) from my lovely plan have you have you had a moment or any moment in this where you just think I just I can't take this anymore yeah basically that is why I went onto the Facebook live and I'm I'm not inclined to be a very emotional person but that when once I started listing out what was going on it it was kind of I was getting to the point where I was kind of hopeless with it because there there is a sense that I couldn't keep the studio open and vouch for the safety of my students or my staff because in the end of the day I am the owner of the premises and if I can't provide a safe place for them it's it's not yeah and, it's, and yeah, it's nothing I can do just to say the fireworks again is it just a particular problem I and I know we we you know I've had callers here on this on this uh, on this program before talking about the impact it has on their pets, on their dogs in particular. We, we know that dogs can really, really, really be scared by fireworks at this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you're getting it on a whole other level there if they're being used to yeah. that degree. Basically, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I mean they're, they're going to pull the arm off themselves, basically, with the fireworks of teenagers themselves. And like that, I have no control over where they're going to shoot them and they have no control about where they're going to go either. But I think there's just a general vibe coming from the groups that we see that are becoming more and more aggressive towards us, where the students that I teach are almost afraid to come up the stairs. So this is why we put parents in place there, because I have to provide like safe passage for them from their car to get up to us. Um, I've watched students walk away from my studio that were like shouted into their face and I, and yeah, just some horrible things being said to some of my male students as well like young students that are six and seven by teenagers that are completely unnecessary so it's there's many levels to the issues we've had in the last while what kind of dance do you teach there Ruth um I teach ballet uh contemporary dance creative contemporary dance and acro as well and then we have another school that runs from us as well so Sinead O'Brien runs a um, kind of hip-hop school and then we have a kickboxing school as well that runs out of the studio. I'm just getting an image now of all these 
little girls and it's nearly always little girls, isn't it, for the ballet classes, for the, the, the small... Well, we, we have a particular programme for increasing the amount of boys in dance. So we have boys programmes as well. So we have male students trying to build it up all the way through as well. So we have them up to 12 years old at the moment. And like that, I want to make sure they have a safe passage to get to the studio. It's it's basically completely decimating all the work that we're doing from one comment from a and teenager. Are they arriving in their ballet gear? They're, um, the girls would be very often, um, the lads probably more in tracksuits to heads down as they're coming in past the teens, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been fun time since September. Well, just exactly that, because I imagine it, it, it's, you know, you have a job of work there to persuade boys to stay in dance. I, I, I know from when my own kids were doing ballet uh, as smaller, as younger kids, that the big issue was to try and get boys to to stay on. Um, yeah, and like that, we do have a boys only class and we're building it up and we had 10 boys in it there the other day. So we are building our, our more and more. So we have about 20 boys in the school at the moment. So um, trying to maintain that and like that, change the image of ballet and change the image of dance. So it, it's basically working against the tide when all of this was happening outside. And then obviously for the girls, there is like, I think it's almost harder on the teenage girls going through it. The younger kids, obviously, their parents come up with them. But for the teenage girls, where obviously there is an issue with teenage girls in general keeping up exercise um, as they get older. And we have loads of teenagers in our school. Um, but to have to walk through that, they know the teenagers that are, are basically giving them hassle all, all the way up the stairs. And what kind of things do they say to them like what what's the what gauntlet do they have to run there oh um i think the teens are probably better at answering exactly what's going on but i don't know it's just for some of us like we have been videoed we see them videoing us we hear them calling us names as we're going through um yeah basically like chucking stuff at them I've seen them chuck bottles at them as they're going through like yeah yeah, just up to their faces it's just unpleasant basically for them to come through Um, it's it's hard enough to run a business in this day and age any business uh, but to have to have this whole other issue to deal with is I can't I can't imagine Ruth I've got let me bring Trish in Um, Trish good afternoon Hi good afternoon You were listening to Ruth's story there yeah, I just just heard Ruth on and I just wanted to throw in my, my top and forth. Um, Ruth has been teaching my son in the dance ah. school. He's, he's one of the boys who goes to the dance school there. And um, my son has been getting very anxious about going into dancing. And part of the problem is that he hates having to walk up through the gang of teenagers that would often be just outside the studio or in the stairwell. What age is he, um, Trish? Do you mind me asking? He's 11. He's 11 and he's quite a confident um, kid, but he has just begun to, de- begun to develop this fear of the gang of teenagers. They haven't ever actually done anything to him, but I suppose he's picking up on the general anxiety that's around them, uh, hearing the, the parents anxious about it, the other kids anxious about it, and he's refusing now to actually walk up to the class on his own. So he wants me to accompany him right to the door and be there as soon as he comes out. And I just think it's a sad situation that that. He he's so scared of walking up to his dance class, um, and that that he's afraid of what they might do. He's heard about the fireworks that have gone off and that have been thrown around, 
and he's he's just got really anxious and scared about going up um, and walking through the, the team. So I'm one of the parents who will stand out during some of the classes and we all have better things to be doing with our time than, than standing on a corridor making sure no one comes up. But it feels like that, that was the only way to make sure that the kids felt safe going up and the teachers inside safe that they were teaching, you know. So um, I, I, just, I texted in just to say that I hope some of the parents of these young teens are listening in Blessington and might start to ask their kids, what are you doing after school? Who are you hanging out with? Where are you hanging out? And, and what are you getting up to? Because I presume the parents, maybe they're unaware their kids are up to no good and are making life very difficult for, for those of us who are trying to just go to the library or go to dance school up there, you know. Yeah, Trish, your line is breaking up a small bit, but we'll persevere. We are uh, getting most of it. Um, I just wonder, is there something somewhere else for these kids that they could be going? I mean, is this part of the problem that there isn't facilities or places for these kids to be hanging out rather than on routes? Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a parent of three older teens myself. And all I can say is that, that I would always make sure that my kids aren't hanging around a shopping centre. Um, and that they have something better to do. I suppose the argument is always that the activities for teens, sometimes you have to pay for them mm-hmm. and that people maybe can't afford that. But I think it's generally that the, the parents are unaware of what their kids are up to or maybe don't care or maybe would prefer to see them hanging out elsewhere rather than hanging out in their house and driving them mad. I don't know. But, you know, I, I, have, I have a few teens myself and... Um, I just think it's, it, parents should be aware of where where yeah. their kids are and what they're doing. Yeah, no, I, I have to say as well, I mean, there's kids that hang around shopping centres that do no harm to anybody and, you know, that's... I totally agree that's, as well. You know, like, we know the difference in the vibe between certain groups that are just hanging out and the other ones that are, are actively looking for trouble, basically, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is, uh, it is a perfectly legitimate thing, I think, for a, a 16-year-old to do is to hang around a shopping centre. Yeah. Um, yeah, as, as long as they're not making life difficult for, for other people. And I think it's a shame for the, the school in Blessington. One of my children attends the, the main Blessington uh, school, secondary school there. And it's, it's a fabulous school and he's getting on really well there. And it's a shame for a few kids to be bringing down the name of the school. Um, because I've heard other parents saying, oh, I, you know, I wouldn't send my kids to that school because of this behaviour. But it's, it's only a very few kids, a few kids okay. who and can are I, can, doing yeah. this. And can I just say we don't know uh, who, where all these children go to school so we're not going to associate these, this group of young people with any particular school, uh, Trish. Just, just, I just want no, to make that no, clear. No, but I, no, I, I, you know, I, I hear I what you're saying. I see them bringing down if I, they're standing there in their uniform. It's just terrible that they're bringing down the name of a school and I know that it's, it's an excellent school doing a really good job. Well, that's know? a very important point to make. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> Thanks for that, Trish. Uh, stay there, will you? I've got Eileen. Um, Eileen, good afternoon. Hi, Hi Katie. Yeah, um, my, well, I have two dogs. I've always had dogs. But every year it's a nightmare with the fireworks, you know. And now more and more as in, in the recent years, they start earlier and earlier. And, you know, you don't know how far they are away from your house. And, and also the dogs have to be tranquilized. And, um, and also if the remains of one falls in your garden, which is not fully ignited, um you know, the dog could go at it and, you know, it could, it hasn't happened to me, but, I mean, I have found the remains of someone who carefully, I'm like the bomb disposal of people trying to get rid of it, you know. I know. Uh, do you say you tranquilise your dogs? Yeah, well, I get a, a tablet from the desk 
just to to calm them. I don't know what tablet it is now, but uh, it's a dog, a special dog tranquilizer. I guess for specifically for the week or three to four days around the the, um, the end of the month, you know, the Could Halloween I, I night. I wonder, I'd love to hear from vets whether there is uh, like a roaring trade in this, in those, that kind of medication for dogs around this time of well, year. I'd say there is. I mean, Peter, I, I know, would meet a lot of dog owners and I would say at least 50% of them would know of this. Now, some people, they manage with their dog or, or indeed cat by turning on the noise of the television or music or something. But, um, you know, their dog ears, even with that, you know, they have, they can pick up a sound, you know, the way a bleep sound that irritates them and scares the life out of them, you know. I know. So, um, it is, it's scary for dogs now. And I, you know, I, I've tried the television thing, but it's just uh, whatever music or something to put on loud, but it doesn't work. You know, it's, it's uh, and like I hate now because it started at the beginning of this month. And I, I you know, it's not necessarily a Friday night, Saturday could be a Monday night, it could be any night and um you know, sometimes it goes on till eleven o'clock so and you don't know how far away they are. I mean, if I knew where they are, but they could be a few kilometres away because they night and you could be driving around and then leaving the dogs on their own. So you can't do that. When I say driving around not to do anything other than say, Please stop because the dogs, you know are in the area. Yeah. I mean it's just there's no doubt about it, the fireworks are um are very, very difficult if you have a pet. There's no no two ways about it. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is it's terrible trying to deal with it now. I mean, I, I just, I'm, I I have to pick up tablets next week. Uh, I haven't got any as yet because, you know, I'm just trying to keep them calm because I can't afford to, you know, put them on medication. <laughs> you know, I might get addicted and end up on skid row. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know whether they'd be able to access them themselves. To be to be fair, I'd say you might be safe. might be safe enough there, Eileen. Uh, thanks for that, Eileen. I I need to okay, take a break. No I'll be back after these. Talk to Joe on oh eight one eight seven one five eight one five. Talk to Joe on oh eight one eight seven one five eight one five. And I I let you go, Ruth. I I. Just I don't know what what's next for you. Have you any any other any other tricks after the classical music failed? <laughs> so kind of basically at Halloween, um, I'm going to ask the parents to step down basically and not man it anymore, and then see what happens. And I I can basically just implore the whole community that if they see something that they're not comfortable with for their kid to walk past or through, basically to ring nine 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 because if it's not just for big emergencies, it's stuff where. As a community, we need to report what we see because an apathy like on this just doesn't help the situation. We need to be active in the community and let the guards know that there are issues there that you're not happy about. So that's that's basically my next plan. And okay. that helps. Ruth, the very best of look look with it. Um it's a difficult situation you're in there, but uh, Thank you very much. hopefully the community will step up and the guards will step up and uh as I say, the dance school can thrive. Thanks for that, Ruth. That's Ruth gone. Uh, can I bring in Gabrielle now? Gabrielle, good afternoon. Afternoon. How are you, Gabrielle? You tell me your story because this, I think, will will um, ring a bell with a lot of women in your situation. Okay. Well, my story is my shower broke, um, as in there was no hot water coming through. 
So I didn't really know a plumber, so I went, oh, I'll Google one. So found one in the area and rang and he was able to tell me over the phone what the problem was. And I said, oh, my God, he sounds great. So he said he'd come out and he'd have a look. So he came out, he had a look and he said, yep. It's a valve, all right. So I went, oh, great. Now, he said, I'll need to go and get a part um, and I will get back to you with the price of the job. So I said, oh, Grant, do I need to give you your call out money now? Or no, no, no. He said, you can wait until I get back to you. So eventually, anyhow, he did call out. Oh, he sent me a text message. Sorry. He sent me a text message giving me the um, the total of the job. Uh, so he said it would be £800 to replace a valve and I went, oh God. 800, 800 euro, is it? Sorry, €800, euro, sorry, I should say. €800 euros for the uh, valve. So you so must I have said, nearly oh, keeled over, did you? Well, I just thought a valve, a little valve wouldn't have cost that much. But anyhow, sure, what could I do? I'm a woman, I'm not a plumber. So anyhow, out he came on the day with all his tools and he came and uh, he was just about to start. And I said, uh, oh, by the way, I said, I wouldn't have 800 euros cash on me, um, but I have it on Revolut. Sure, that's just the same. He went, sorry. And I said, sorry. I said, I don't have 800 euros cash on me. So it would be by Revolut. I told you, he said, it is to be cash. And I said, and even if it was cash, it looks like to me I won't be getting a receipt. I said like that. So he was absolutely furious. So anyhow, he upped his tools back into his bag and I said, well, I was getting annoyed. I wasn't going to pay him this amount of money and with the attitude of the aggression of saying, I told you cash. So I opened the door and I let him out. <laughs> and you're alone in the house with, with in this situation. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. With no knowledge of like the likes of a plumbing. I know if I have a drippy tap or a toilet that doesn't flush, but not with a shower. This isn't even an electric shower. This is just your normal, you know, switch on, switch off, water temperature, a handheld um, a shower part. And I was flabbergasted, all right. And you reckon the reason he was uh, behaving that way and quoting you that amount was... Because. Well, it's because I was a woman on my own and he was going to get easy money. Now, I did investigate it. I haven't got it in writing as yet, but, I mean, a valve slash cartridge doesn't cost that amount of money. Um, I did speak to someone else. I said, but sure, even a shower wouldn't cost that money. And I just said, oh, it must have been fate. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, to be ripped off just because you're a woman on your own, it's, it's, it's not acceptable. Now, I, I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and they said they always pretend that himself is about, is just down the road or around the corner or will be on the phone to them and that that uh, miraculously changes the attitude when they're dealing yeah. with, with some, some, and I shouldn't say all, obviously. Obviously, there's plenty of very honest uh, people out there. But there is a suspicion, isn't there, that... Uh, Women on their own might be taken advantage of in this situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it wasn't even, it it was when he said, I told you cash. You know, in this form of, to me, what I would have classed as 
aggression. Do you know what I just oh, and I just I was quite happy to see the back of him going out the door, and that realistically, even if I had paid by my revenue, I would have been kicking myself because that actually wasn't the price. So I, I like I'm. Where do you get an honest, hard-working plumber these days, or do you go into it blindfold and just hope for the best? You know, there has to be somewhere or somewhere to even complain about what happened. I know I'm on the radio to you, but is there not some sort of a, you know, association of plumbers if you've been badly, you know, treated or whatever to... Well, I mean, again, and I'll have to say it, Gabrielle, I mean, there are, I know, plenty and plenty of very honest, uh, completely above board, lovely plumbers and all sorts of Mm. tradesmen out there. Uh, But you are not the first person to suspect that you are, um, you know, you get the wrong one and you are taken advantage of. And it's again, it's not plumbers just. I mean, I know I've heard people say have the same suspicions in relation to sometimes when they take the car in to get fixed. Uh, would, have, have you been on your own for, for some time, Gabrielle? Yes, I have. Uh, my partner died some years back oh. in 2007. And so the only thing that I say I have male in the house is my is this something that would have occurred to you before? Not really, but I have to say anything that I probably would want to have got done, I would have sort of asked and work, especially I work in, there's a huge environment of people there who say, oh, I know someone, but they didn't know a plumber, you say. Mm-hmm. If it was anything else, probably I would have got lucky. But now I'm saying to myself, if anything else goes wrong, if it's an electric job, if it's I don't know, some other little thing, am I going to be met with the same devious... Like, I'm absolutely horrified that this person could blatantly stand there and say it would cost this amount of money. Yeah, and then, as you say, get aggressive when when you suggested paying Mm -hmm. him in a different way. Um, Mm -hmm. Because that, that to me, is actually the, the, the more difficult part of that, this engagement you had with this person the fact that you were you were on your on your own in that house and that somebody felt they could shout at you in that way is I wonder too if the 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 ideal thing would be to be able to get recommendations obviously you normally get them from work people at work and that's obviously the best way if you can get a colleague or a neighbour to give you a recommendation but I'm just thinking wouldn't they be great if you could get a uh, an app or a a website where women would recommend mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people yeah, yeah, who, think, who yeah, would I, have, like, you know, come and done, done, done I, everything properly. Yeah, but when I actually reviewed them um, on Google, which is where I found them, um, like, I mean, the reviews, you know, oh, fantastic, oh, fantastic. There wasn't one bad review. So I had to put a review in, I have to say. Um, but, uh, and also I did it on Facebook as well. I am just, I'm, I'm just flabbergasted that somebody out there could be, you know, doing this to other vulnerable people, whether they be young or whether they be old. The fact that they live on their own, like, I mean, what person would be carrying around 800 euros in cash in their back pocket? It's what I want to say. You'd have to go to the bank, I presume, um, and draw it out and walk home with it in your back pocket or your handbag. I mean, I wouldn't take the chance. I'm sorry. And have you got the shower fixed since? No, to be quite honest, I haven't. But somehow there is some form of a god up there. The actual hot water has actually come back into it where I can, 
stand the temperature uh, to to be able to wash myself. Uh, but it will have to be addressed. And I yes, I am looking for an honest plumber who will come out and tell me. That I, you know, I have an awful funny feeling what people are saying to me. It wouldn't even have cost us eight hundred euros for a full shower, let alone a valve or a cartridge. Uh, I have to say, eight hundred euros does seem like an extortionate yeah. amount of money for uh, a yeah. valve. Now, not again, yeah. not that I'm a plumber myself either, Gabrielle. And uh, maybe if there's yeah. a plumber out there, <laughs> uh, yeah. get in yeah. touch and uh, let us know what uh, the. A proper quote that the the reasonable quote would be for that yeah. uh, for that yeah. type of a job. But Gabrielle, yeah. best of luck with it. Thanks for that. Um, well, thank you for giving me the time. <laughs> and uh, uh, if anyone else has any ideas about how we find the right people for these jobs, give us a shout. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Now, I want to go to something completely different. Uh, Lucas, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, Lucas, you are a tattoo artist. Yes. And how long, you're from Brazil originally, am I right there? I, um, yes, I'm from Sao Paulo in Brazil. And how long have you been living in Ireland? Um, almost six years now, since 2017. And you have you came you came here on a student visa, is that right? Yes, I came to study English um, like in 2017 on a student visa. And you've had to continue in education to 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 basically stay here to some degree. Yes. So, like with the student visa, you're allowed to work part time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always done that and I did a degree in marketing um, and concluded it last, not this summer now, mm-hmm. just in June. Um, this is the way I've found to be able to, to stay here and live in Ireland. And do you want to stay staying here? you want to stay living in Ireland? Yes, I would like to because all of my friends are here. I've established a career here. I worked in one of the best tattoo shops in, in Dublin and I all of my friends are here I love Irish culture and I think it would be great to be able to stay here Okay so you have been applying for a work permit from um, the Department of Enterprise Trade and Employment Yes exactly And you have been denied not yeah, once denied. not twice not three times but four times Four times, yes. Yeah, and I'm running out of options because it's it's very frustrating because I have I I've built a career. I work in um, a great shop, and they are willing to sponsor me to give me the, the the job. They're giving me a contract and all the documents I need. I've always paid tax, like since I've lived here, since I've moved here, I've paid tax every. Like I'm a taxpayer, and it's frustrating because the. Basically, the government is telling me that I'm not able to do the job I I love because of a misclassification of the, the the title of my job. Okay, so they are saying you you want to apply for a work permit as an artist, which is as, as which is as you see yourself, and mm-hmm. they are responding that you would fall under the category of beautician and related activity. 
Yes, exactly. So um, the, the the way it, it works is like the, the there is a list of jobs that are ineligible, and a list of and all the other jobs that are not in that list are you can apply for a work permit. Artist is an eligible job, and like basically, I'm applying as a tattoo artist, which is basically just another form of art. Um, the difference between me and someone that paints on a canvas is not that much. Like I, I basically just do the same thing, but on skin using ink and the government fails to like recognize that that job is not like a form of art. It's basically uh, like I'm basically a beautician, but it's like, there's no, nothing that relates me to a beautician. I, me and someone that, those nails or I don't I don't know we are very different occupations yeah. you know yeah I mean and, and this is the problem is that if you if you were classified as an artist you would be eligible for a work visa but the beautician yes, exactly. beautician is one of the categories that is ineligible so it's a hugely exactly. important uh, distinction for you not just that you want to be considered an artist obviously because that's that's uh, what you do every day but you it it it'll mean the difference. It may mean the difference between you being allowed to stay here or having to go home. Exactly. Yes. And tell me, what kind of tattoos do you do, Lucas? What kind of work do you do? So I specialize in in um, botanical work, and I do a lot of um, like flowers and artistic pieces like that. Um, I do uh, something utilizing a technique that we call in tattooing uh, freehand, which is basically the client comes to me with an idea and gives me a concept and I'm able to like draw directly on skin. Um, so I draw with markers directly on skin and I create like a, a composition and a piece of art based on like the client's body lines and using their body as like a form of composition. And, um, I think that's a kind of like within the tattoo industry, that's already like a, a like an uncommon kind of practice because a lot of tattooers will design something before and then use a stencil, which is also a good technique. I do that as well, but I've been trying to specialize more on the creation of the, the piece on the spot with the client to, to bring like a different experience because it's like a collaboration between me and the client where he's going to give me, a, or they're going to give me a, an idea and I will like draw and create the, the, the piece on the on the spot. And I imagine then you develop relationships with clients and that they come back to you again and again? Exactly, yeah. I have I have a good client base in Dublin and have people that have travelled from different places also in Europe and um, the US. They, they've travelled over just to get tattooed by me. So it is a very, wow. like I've established myself here in a way that it's, and it's yeah. frustrating that I cannot live and do the job I, I love I over here because of a misunderstanding in the law, you know. And and just to give, because I mean, tattooing has come such on such a, a journey, if I can put it that way, in the last, you know, 10 or 20 years from something mm-hmm. that would have been seen as quite maybe edgy and, you know, that you would cover up if you were going for a job interview to mm-hmm. something that's really, you know, very mainstream now, isn't it? Yes, exactly. I feel like tattooing has always been underlooked in a way, but it's now taking a very artistic turn to it. Like 
most like we are all artists all of the people that do tattoos don't like they're artists in loads of different forms just people that like loads of people that work with me have been to art college they paint they they do loads of um, art forms of art in different like mediums and stuff and and i feel like tattooing has been taking that approach where people are being able to express themselves with like uh, artwork that is like directly onto their body and they're able to carry it around and you know have it with them at all times there is a lot of stigma around tattoos but i feel like it's definitely getting better and getting more acceptable in society and 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 so on and are are particular types of tattoos do they come in and out of fashion as in you know you say you do the botanical uh tattoos that's your kind of speciality Mm-hmm. Are there times where people like to do the mythology ones, the the snake, you know, the does it is it a fashion thing? Um, I feel like as anything else in any other art movement, movement it is heavily inspired by fashion. What's trendy right now? Like there is trends in within tattooing, but um, a lot of things are very much like a classic. They, they don't go out of fashion or out of date. You know, like. There's classics like, you know, a snake and a dagger, uh, I don't know, like a, a skull. And, and so those things kind of like will never come out of fashion. It is a trend that like recycles itself. There's, um, but it's definitely evolving onto like a very a more artistic approach. And a lot of artists within tattooing are like creating their own style within the, the, the industry. And like, for example, there are people that are known for it you know, one specific style that they kind of invented, they started. So it's like it's like every art movement, it will like come in and out of fashion or like recycle itself or change. And, you know, so it is very interesting to see because it is just another form of art. It's just another medium. And, ju- and, and I suppose it, <laughs> the thing to say, Lucas, is just like all forms of art, there's some very bad art out there. And I've seen some very bad tattoos. <laughs> Yes, do yes. do people come into you with like horrors on on their skin and ask you to to sort them out? At times, yes. Uh, like we we do something um, called uh, cover ups, which is just like basically covering a tattoo that is already existent with like a better piece. Um, and there's other forms of like you know like techniques now, like laser removal and all those kind of things. So we have more technology on that too. Maybe to get rid of tattoos are about to be done. But, um, the, the, the classic one, of course, is, is the first girlfriend. I'll never forget you. <laughs> yeah, the name, the name, girlfriend name or something like that. So, like, uh, but, uh, like, luckily, I have a really good client phase that comes to me for the type of style of work that I do. And they come to me with, like, usually without ha- having a bad tattoo, they come to me like, oh, I have empty skin here for you to do whatever you want. But like I have done cover-ups and have helped clients to get rid of tattoos that were, that made them feel like um, bad about themselves or even like sometimes there's like, um, we use tattoos in the form of like, people use to like cover scars or things that like kind of get them ashamed of something that happened to them uh, in a way and it helps them getting over that, that period of their lives and stuff like that. So tattoos, in a way, help people to, you know, um, get through some things like that. And are some 
do some people still, because, you know, people would have traditionally maybe gotten a tattoo in a place where, where only their, you know, intimate partner would see it, if I can put it that way. Are people yeah. still, are, 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 are tattoos just kind of universally flaunted now in places, you know, where they can be seen? I think like that's that's like any um, like each to their own like pe- people get tattoos everywhere and I think um, but I think the focus is really switching right now to like a more like visible approach like people want to have art on their bodies and they're proud to show it and instead of like actually having to hide or like feel ashamed about it and stuff but I still for example tattoo a lot of nurses and people that like for their job they they're not allowed to show a lot of tattoos so they they tend to like get tattoos under like a sleeve or like you know on the ribs or torso area where it's not visible like to the general public but they still want to have a tattoo and feel happy about it and you know carry a piece of art on themselves so i feel like that that's my other, my other, the other thing I often wonder as well is particularly when you see people with, you know, full sleeves done, um, you know, a, a lot, a lot of body, body art done. Uh, mm-hmm. How does that age? You know, when um, your skin ages? I mean, tattoos age like the same way as your skin would age, you know, like if you don't take care of your skin properly, your skin is going to look. Whereas if you smoke, there's a lot of different things that will affect the longevity of a tattoo. Um, It's really hard to tell now how tattoos are going to look in 30, 40 years because the technology that we have right now, the needles that we use and inks and pigments are much better than, for example, things that we would see from the 70s. If you see someone with a tattoo from the 70s right now, Mm -hmm. the tattoo looks probably aged and bad and, you know, um, because they would be using different techniques would be reusing needles and things like that back in the 70s when there was no there was a different like you know approach to tattooing um now i i'd say like we're gonna have to find out how tattoos are gonna age in 20 30 years but i feel like there's some beauty to like how tattoos look once they're aged as well like it kind of like adds character to it in a way i don't know it's really cool to see like old artwork on on people i've I've come across a lot of um tattoo tattooed taxi drivers for example that got tattooed in the 80s by this artist that is called johnny ego is like one of the first important tattoo artists in in, in dublin mm-hmm. uh, and he tattooed a lot of like old, the older generation he was like a very important tattooer in the history of tattooing in ireland um and I feel like it's really cool to see like the old traditional tattoos aged on people that are now like 60 years old and stuff, you know, and, and they have like that cool aspect to it in a way. Yeah, really cool, actually, which is fascinating, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if I wanted you to do a piece of art uh, on mm-hmm. my skin, are you expensive, Lucas? Um, I think like for the average of Dublin prices I, I I'm like just on on the average I feel like the shop that I work is a very um, um, well-established shop and I, I, I value my own artwork as well and so I think tattoos can be expensive in general because it is something that is permanently there on your skin so but I think we work on average on a like a hundred year an hour basis like 
the majority of the city. Mm-hmm. But, um, so depending on like how long that that artwork is gonna take, it takes um, it will like based on that the amount of time usually. But when you compare it to other forms of art like paintings and you know sculptures and things that you buy for your house or for your gallery or whatever, I feel like tattoos are quite cheap compared to that other those other forms of art, you know. Yeah, it is. I just for me, it's just it's such a massive commitment, though, as you said there, that you can buy a painting, and if you kind of in five years' time decide, you know, I'm kind of that style of painting isn't for me anymore, you can move it off the mantelpiece. Um, but you really, really need to be sure that you're going to love the piece, the art you do, because <laughs> it's there in, with you every single day of your life after that. But it's an incredible thing for your clients that they, they trust you with their skin. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's why you have to choose and research the professional that you're going to, like, um, because like you're going to end up with something permanently permanently on your skin. So um, I think it's really wise to find a good artist that you love the work, that you're happy to let them work on a piece for you. And I feel like this way, both client and tattooer will end up like creating a, like a really nice piece of artwork that you're going to be happy and you're not going to regret within 10 years, 15 years. You're going to look at it and still think of something a lot of people get tattoos because they they want the tattoo to have a meaning they get tattoo for like their grandparents that passed or something like that so it is like a form of like turning into artwork something that is important to you and and you you can carry that with you at all times and i feel like this way is a good approach to not let it to not regret any of the decisions you know and i wonder as well though because obviously it's a lengthy process, uh, you know, and and presumably clients come back to you again to get, you know, to, to get touches, you know, to get touched up and finished and all that. Uh, do you kind of become a kind of a, a father confessor to, you know, do you, do you have those conversations that, you know, people will 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 associate with their hairdressers say that, you know, you, you, you you're the person that you can tell your secrets to? Well, sometimes, uh, like, Usually when it's like a touchy subject or the person is getting the tattoo for like their um, grandparents or to someone that passed, it is a very emotional kind of process. So there is some sort of responsibility on that sense. You have to like, you're creating a piece of art that is going to translate like a feeling or an emotion that this person has towards something. So it is a, a but people do talk about it. Sometimes people prefer not to talk about it. So it's, it's, it's very... Uh, but I feel like the approach of every artist is different, and I I find myself usually talking to my clients and having a great time, like bonding with them throughout the the experience of tattooing, and it is it is a nice experience there. I wouldn't say just like heavy topics, but it is it is a nice because at the end of the day you're going to be spending like six seven hours with that person in a room tattooing them, and it is it is like a it's a, a fairly intense. I was going to say it's a fairly intense um, client uh, professional relationship. I would have thought, uh, especially because yeah. you're hu- you're hurting them as well while you're doing this, presumably. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah, like it is a it is a painful process in a way, but it is very tolerable. So, like, it really depends on um, the person. But um, we try to minimize that pain as much as we can. As well, we do breaks, get food, and. 
you know, uh, there's loads of different approaches to get the person to to sit through the process, you know. Um, but I think um, that's that's one of the reasons why I think if the government fails to understand that my profession is not anything to do with like the, the, the activity the abutition does, my approach to tattooing is very artistic, and I have to sit down with a client and spend time and com- like I'm com- they're commissioning commissioning me to do a piece for them, and like they fail to understand that and the difference that the, there's no difference on that to someone going to an artist, a painter, and being like, hey, can you paint this picture of my granddad, mm-hmm. this and that, because I want to hang it in my living room. The only dif- difference is that instead of painting something on a canvas for them to hang in the living room, I'm doing that on their skin so they can carry it with them forever. Uh, and forever. Stuff. Uh, hang on, Lucas, I've got Dolores on the other line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dolores, good afternoon. Good afternoon. And you know Lucas, Dolores? Yes, uh, Lucas worked um, with Wildcat for a couple of years before um, before move, moving on, and he, you know he's an absolutely fantastic artist. Um, we were sorry to see him go, but anyhow, he, he he wanted to move to broaden his horizons a bit, and we're really very sorry to hear that he's in the situation he is at the moment. And this is an issue, isn't it? That um, a lot of the tattooists wouldn't be originally from Ireland, so there's a, a visa issue. Yeah, yeah, it, it is an issue. We we first started applying for for permits, work permits for tattoo artists, non EEA tattoo artists, back in two thousand and sixteen, um, and I think after two or three attempts, failed attempts, we we eventually got in touch with um, a solicitor to do it on our behalf, and. Um, it was explained to us as to why it was happening. We weren't really sure uh, what the why we were being we were we were getting refusals. But then she explained the ineligible uh, list, and um, and obviously, as uh, Lucas has said, there, tattoo artists are on this list. Yeah, so, they're uh, ineligible. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we, yeah. I actually have a statement in front of me here. I'll just give you a few lines from it. This is from. Uh, the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment. Um, they explain here again that Ireland operates a managed employment permit system um, that maximises benefits of, of economic migration, minimises disruption to the labour market here. Um, it said that the employment permit system is aligned with the current labour market intelligence. So I suppose that's another way of saying they give permits uh, for positions that we need to have, that we, we, that we need to have filled here. Uh, and that we don't have local labour to fill. Uh, It then says that the department is currently engaging with other government departments to consider submissions received in the latest consultation to review the occupation lists which ran from June to August this year. So they say over 100 submissions were received covering uh, occupations in a range of sectors. A report containing recommendations for consideration is expected in November. No submissions were received by the department in relation to the role of tattoo artist. So they're saying they haven't had any submissions. And then they went on to say the role of tattooist currently falls under code 6222 in this uh, list. This category of occupation falls on the ineligible list, occupations for which employment permits shall not be granted. So 
there does seem to be some sort of a fluid system there where they review what occupations end up on the eligible list and end up on the ineligible list. Um, Well, we actually did um, submit a review the last time this happened back in 2017. I wasn't even aware that there was a review being done um, recently. So obviously it wasn't widely widely advertised because... um, you know, who did the, who did the information go out to? Did it go out to tattoo artists or to, was it broadly, um, were people made aware of it in a broader sense or, or where would one have had to go on to their website to um, to know that there was another review? I don't know. I certainly didn't hear about it. Yeah. Um, I didn't hear anything back from my review in 2017. Um, anyhow, which was the um, which was the time I did it at that stage, I, I sent it in, and that was the last that was was heard. But in fact, in January 2018, the new British uh, standard occupation classification was published, and tattoo artists were moved on that from beauticians into their proper place with artists. And I was very hopeful at that stage that Ireland would would follow suit, but um, no such luck. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to lose people with the kind of skills that, as Lucas said, people coming here from America to actually get get inked up by Lucas and uh, mm-hmm. we, we mm-hmm. might lose them because of this. Uh, Lucas, I think I better let you back to work. Listen, the very, very best to look with this. I'm, I'm sure you will you'll be applying again, but uh, mm-hmm. I know you are beginning to lose hope, aren't you? Yes, yes, yeah. I'm, I'm having to find other ways of, like, trying to figure out what I'm going to do and what to do next because I'll be forced to leave the country that I've been calling my home for the past six years and it's it's a very frustrating thing but we'll see hopefully the government can look at us artists and understand and invest in the art scene yeah. and like give the right support we need yeah. well we hope it doesn't come to that Lucas uh, the very best to look to you thanks for that Dolores uh, we have to take a break Talk to Joe on 0818 Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Now, we had a lot, and we spoke to a lot of foster parents, um, foster carers yesterday on this show, uh, very annoyed at uh, the government's handling of the increase in their allowance. They finally got an allowance for the first time in 14 years, but two-thirds of it wouldn't be paid until November of next year. Um, so people were very annoyed about that. But in the, in the midst of that conversation, uh, what came through as well was concerns about how uh, young people who are in the care system are, are treated once they hit 18. And I want to bring in Maria now. Maria, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Katie. And you were listening to us yesterday. Um, I was tuning in to you yesterday afternoon, yes, indeed. Tell us your story, because um, you, you were story, a foster carer. And I was foster carer. I still am. Well, well. Um, <laughs> yes. So, Katie, in 2008, I was in a position to become a foster parent. Myself and my husband, both myself and my husband, had gone through an intensive and very invasive assessment to become a foster carer to a vulnerable young adolescent. He was 16 at the time. And so just, came to just the, sorry, just to be sorry. just to be clear about this, because I think it's important. You yeah. you you hadn't done this before. A particular case came up, and you were persuaded that the, this young person needed a stable home, and you Correct. put yourselves forward for it. Correct, we did. And you found that process, and I've I've heard this from so many other people in this position. 
that you're basically turned inside out uh, by, and it's right, of course, that Tusla yeah. would be very concerned about who they're placing young, vulnerable people with. But it was an incredible, uh, you, you found it very, very invasive. We did. We did. We found it very invasive. Um, and then we had to do a six week, now we had four grown children of our own, and we had to do a six week course then on how to care for children, you know, after that. <laughs> right. Okay. I know. Did you learn anything? Not a thing, Katie, but anyway. Right. We had to do it. It was compulsory and we had to do it and we went along with the system. Um, Grant. So after, the, after that, so um, I was able, I had to put up a fight. It wasn't all over at that time, Katie. We hadn't met the young man. So my fight then was to hold on to my full-time job. So, so were you we both, were both working? We were both working and my fight, and he was in school all day and I would have been home in plenty of time you know, for him at that time. But I had to fight a battle to hold on to my full-time job. I didn't manage that. I managed, I had to give up one day. So I was able to hold on to four days. My husband was able to take time off. We were fortunate in cases where the young man would be off from school at the time. And just to be clear, this is, this is somebody you, you, you had never met before, you had no connection to, and you, you put yourselves through all these hoops to, to make a home for this, for this yes, young Katie. man. Yes, we did. Um, so, and you did all of that? And, we and, did all of that. And he came, and he to, came you. to live with us. Mm-hmm. He came to us. He came to us. So what they did was, um, for the fact that I was holding on to my full-time job, our money then per fortnight was reduced. Right. So at that time, back in 2008, we got 600, pa- 600 euro uh, per fortnight. Right. Now, he was travelling by bus to school in a different county so we had to pay his bus fares all that so I can understand what the, the parents were talking about yesterday like it's not you can't you don't make money out of it No no, and and, and certainly none of the people we were talking about yesterday were doing it for the money that is that, that no. was very clear um, Yeah but so, so yeah, so you, so you're you're you. This young man arrives, and and I just just explain to people we've changed your name. We we're we're, we're being very yeah. careful as we were yesterday mm-hmm. with people's identities because mm-hmm. obviously we're yeah. not identifying anybody in this situation. Absolutely. Um, but he, he this this young man who came to you had a lot of challenges. He had a lot of challenges, and um, he would have gotten a bit of help support from the residential treatment centre that he came from, and from the other social workers that were calling in. At one stage, I was going to get a key cut for my door, Katie, to give it to them. You know, a pathway in on a Friday. Because they were With, coming, they um, were here so much, in and out of your house so yeah, much. checking him and checking us that we were doing our job perfectly well and everything. So time rolled on and he finished school and he was um, finishing up with them, I suppose, 18. And then the aftercare programme, so to speak, uh, kicked in and that was just somebody calling out to see, checking in on him again, checking in on us to say hello. And um, he was coming to the stage, you see, if we we were always under the illusion that he was going into a house with three or four other people and a carer when he reached 21. Now, there was not, we have nothing in writing, Katie, to say that. So the first thing I would say to foster carers is anything that's promised you, get it in writing. Right. Always have an email or have some kind of evidence backup. We had nothing, so the downturn came, and there was no. The end was coming. He was twenty-one, and the payments were going to stop. So I was wondering. My question was: Who now is responsible for this young man that was put into our care when he was sixteen? 
Because just to be clear, he would still not have been in a position, even into his 20s, of living independently, given the challenges no. that he had when he came to you. Not at all. So, home, where was he going to live? And then the downturn came, of course, and we were completely forgotten about. The letter we received, the last letter we received, and it says, upon his, I can't name him, upon his 18th birthday, he is considered an adult by law, albeit a vulnerable one, but from a custody and care perspective, he is no longer under the care of a care order of the state. So, move on. That was an, what, 14, on. 14, 15 years ago he came to you. He turned 18 uh, a few years yeah. after that. And he turned still, 21. He's still with you, Maria. He, 30 years of age, he is still with me, Katie. And we, I could give you a file on all the places we've been turned down for different things. Nobody wants to be responsible to give him a house or give him a home, a, a forever home. Um, at one point in time, I was told, off the record, of course, and nowhere to be found in writing, that I could make him homeless. And for me to do that, Katie, would be to re-traumatise him again. Yeah, I just, I'll just give you... Uh, I I'll give you a couple of lines from a statement we have from Tusla. Uh, they say they're committed to delivering an aftercare service for eligible young people and young adults, uh, which is responsive, inclusive and relative to each young person's circumstances. They uh, talk about uh, uh, the, the fact that there was 2,961 young people uh, availing of these services at uh, the end of the first quarter of this year. A drop-in service is also available, they say. Any person with a care history can avail of the aftercare drop-in service. There's no age limit. They talk about about support services, supporting the work already undertaken by foster carers and social workers. And they say, generally speaking, aftercare services are based on each young uh, young person's assessment of need. What do you You want, Maria? The young... yeah, sorry. I, 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 I'm almost out of time. I'll just give you one. Yes. What do you want? What, 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 what do you want to say? I to want, I want a forever house home for this young man. We are in our, we're both in our seventies, Katie. And you know, our daughter comes home from Australia with two small babies. We are, you know, we don't have the room anymore. Yeah. I want somebody to take, stand up, and take responsibility and rehouse this young man. Okay. Okay. That's what I want. Okay, Maria. Well said. Many thanks for, Thank for, for telling us about your situation. We'll, t- we'll take a break. Thanks, Maria. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And I want to go to Daniel O'Donnell now. Daniel, good afternoon. Hello, Katie. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Daniel. You want to warn people uh, about bad well, people out there. I know. Well, just as a boast about all these scammers that are on. I, I'm not a great social media person, but we have a Facebook page that usually is run by the record company. But if I want to put something on it, and we just back a number of weeks ago, Magella's mother passed away, sadly. And I'm, and so, and I'm sorry to hear that. that. I know you were close yeah. to her as well, Daniel. Yes. Thank you. We announced, you know, the, her death, and obviously people, you know, kindly put up a lot of messages of sympathy. And then, you know, there was somebody that, hap- as happens very often, uh, set up a Facebook page 
by the way that it was me replying to these people who were sentenced in messages of sympathy and, you know, engaging with them. And I suppose what I think it's important to know that these people never sleep. It doesn't matter what the situation is, be it sad or happy or difficult or whatever. They are there trying to take advantage of people. And I suppose what I would like to say is that, you know, when when they sent a message of sympathy to Magellan and the family and myself, you know, it looked like I was writing back, which I wasn't. And they were, you know, I would be on the same boat. I would think, gosh, it wasn't at all for nice of them to write back at a time when they're grieving mm-hmm. for, for, for their mother-in-law or, or mother. Um, so the people that are doing scams are there at the most opportune moments. And they get in when you think it couldn't be them. You know what I mean? So, just and were they, what, were they asking? Were they asking for money, or well, do you know what asking, they were about? No, they weren't asking for anything other than that they were trying to engage with people, and you don't know what that leads to. The engagement is the first step. This, this is the thing. And I, I got friends contacting me lately telling me that there was a face Facebook account set up in my name as well with my profile, yeah. and it's just yeah. it kind of gives you the shivers because you don't know what's being done in your name then. Well, this is it. And you see, you know, people, no matter how smart you think you are, and and I'm fair smart, there's times you'll get caught. There's times, I remember one time getting a message from someone saying that they lost their phone or they lost something and they were somewhere and they needed money. Somebody that I knew, and only for I went to Magella, such and such a person, I says, they're needing her. She says, that's a scam. But I was all gung-ho. You were going to so save them. Y- y- you see, so they're there, right? You know, we, you never let your guard down. Now, I think the majority of... I never answer anybody on Facebook. So the majority of people that have a Facebook page because you're, whatever you're doing is out there, maybe, you know, you're well-known or you're singer or you're... In your case, you know, we're not on there going to answer somebody that's writing on our Facebook page. And I want people to know that. And that's true, I would imagine, of everybody. So don't be caught. If somebody is writing to you, make sure that you know it is them. Even if, you know, even if it's somebody you know, call them up and ask them. Yeah, that's Did the- you send me a message? That is the key. You ring them. You ring them. I know everybody can't ring me, but don't answer me at all. Okay, just so to people know, it'll never be you. You, if you don't know, if they don't know you no, and you don't know them, you no, won't be. You no, won't be contacting no. them. And, and, and different ones will say, "We've got a message, a friend request." Don't ever take that as me because oh, okay. it won't be me, and it probably won't be any. I hate using myself as a celebrity, but suppose that's what I am. You know, anybody that's in that category, they're not writing to be a friend of anybody. So don't get caught. Don't get caught. Okay, that's it. We're actually way over time, Daniel. Uh, Many thanks thanks for that. Very important to get that out there. Um, On sound today, James Feeney, our broadcast coordinator, Leon Dunn. And today's show was produced by Nadine Maloney. Stand by now for Ray. 0818 715 815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie